I think I got it. All right. Uh, turn to John chapter 1. It is very nice to be here. Very nice opportunity. Um, especially considering this isn't what I do for a living, to have opportunities like this. To I'm a teacher, but um, pastoring, preaching isn't what I do for a living. So I really appreciate the opportunity. I think I probably benefited from some positive connections with the church. Uh, but it's nice to be here and appreciate uh, the worship. Uh, you're welcome, and the worship, and Pete leading, and the others who participate, uh, help us in worship. It's really, really nice um, and appreciated. So we're happy to be here, Joe and the girls and I. Uh, we'll see if they stay happy very long, but we are happy to be here, and we're uh, appreciative of the kindness you've shown us over the years. I think before we were even married was the first time I was here, I think, so... Uh, thankful for the kindness whenever we drop by. So, um, it's the Sunday after Christmas. What to talk about, what to preach about. Um, interesting to kind of weigh the options. Chosen John 1, although we'll bounce around a little bit. And uh, as before we read the first 18 verses of John 1, just like to kind of um, point out, I think, Sometimes, sometimes there are certain passages especially that we learn to take for granted. Maybe not take for granted so much as uh, skim over because we've read them enough, we've been taught on them enough. So we, we read things that sound simple, they enter our brains for the hundredth time, we think we got it, when in fact they're incredibly complex um, and we don't always, we don't always know perhaps. So I think John 1, 1 through 18 is one of those passages that has a whole bunch of phrases that sound really nice and that we've heard a lot, but that are really, really deep and not necessarily self-evident in their meaning. So we're not going to explain every phrase of every verse. We're going to talk about it kind of in light of Christmas in light of the rest of Scripture, kind of deal with a few, a couple main concepts or phrases in the verses, and hopefully, hopefully glean something from it. So I just hope to share with you some, some meditations on the Word and on Christ and on Christmas. So let's read John 1, 1 through 18, and then we'll pray one more time before we start talking about it. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory, 
Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for this opportunity to open your word freely, to worship together, to consider your holiness and your mercy, and all it is about you that gives us hope and purpose and life and new life. We're thankful for the special time to reflect on the coming of Christ, special time with family and friends that we've had, and pray that it would impress upon us truths that are simple enough for us to be encouraged by and fed by, but complex enough that we can we can spend a lot of time, a lifetime, thinking about them. So be with us as we consider some of these things this morning. Help us to have ears to hear. Help, help anything I say that isn't fruitful to just go in one ear and out the other, but that uh, your word would be uh, honored, you would be honored in what we say here this morning. So be with us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. Okay, well these verses serve as a prologue to John's Gospel. Now, I'm one who really, really enjoys uh, movie trailers, movie previews. And uh, so, a few things to say about movie trailers. Uh, One, there's a whole bunch of them nowadays when you go to the movies, especially if it's a big movie. Uh, Abby and Ben and Joe and I went to see Star Wars this week, and there were eight trailers not counting the commercials, and all those trailers are two and a half minutes long. So this bothers most people, because it's like a solid 20 minutes of just previews and trailers before the movie. Well, I love it. love every minute of it. A lot of the time I like it as much as I like the movie. Now, a lot of trailers, I've already said too much about trailers, and yet I will keep going. A lot of trailers show too much. In fact, most movie trailers pretty much give you the whole movie. Oftentimes, when I'm sitting at a movie with someone like my brother, we watch a trailer, and then we turn to each other, and we say, that was an okay movie, because you got the whole thing. You can just fill in the gaps as you go. But, but, every once in a while, you get a really good movie trailer, which does what a movie trailer should do, which is give you just enough, just enough to get you interested Curious, maybe a little skeleton of a plot, some interesting images that don't make sense because you don't have the whole picture, but they're crazy awesome. So then you pay to go see the movie instead of waiting for it at Redbox or Netflix. You decide to pay good money to go see it. So John's prologue, I would argue, I'm not the first person to say this, acts as a kind of good trailer for the rest of the book. In that, he says a lot of things that really don't make any sense. Very general, very flowery, very poetic. As I said, I think we tend to read them and not have that reaction because we're so used to them. But they're not necessarily self-evident. So we're going to look at a few of these, but if you just kind of glance through, maybe some of these phrases struck out to you, stuck out to you. 
Uh, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you know what that means? Is that self-evidence? Like self-explanatory to become children of God? To not be born of uh, blood or of the will of the flesh, whatever that is, or of the will of man, whatever that is, but of God? Or the Word became flesh? Or He's full of grace and truth? We've received grace upon grace. The true light gives light to everyone. All these things, they sound really nice. We skim over them. I could not articulate to you what those phrases mean, let alone if it's the first time you're reading it, right? If you can put yourself in the shoes of somebody reading it for the first time. It does nothing but raise questions. It does not give answers. It just raises questions because John, inspired by God, wants you to do what? He wants you to just keep reading and find out what all those things mean. So, all that to say, we have some concepts that are kind of strange, and we're going to look at a few of them. We're going to kind of look at them in the context of Christmas a little bit. This is John 1, not your traditional Christmas passage, because it's not a narrative of the birth of Christ, but it's about Christ coming. There's obvious references to his birth, and so I think uh, it'll be appropriate for this week, hopefully. So our questions are this. Specifically, we're going to have three main points and they kind of align with three questions. What does it mean that Christ was the Word? So in the first verse of John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. You think, oh, the Word is Jesus. Why? Because the W is capitalized. So it just tells us it's Jesus, right? Well, it does. In the original everything's capitalized, so there's not that distinction. And if it's the first time you've read it, that would lead to a lot of questions. So what does it mean that Christ was the Word? What does it mean that Christ was the light? In verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And in the next few verses, it uses the word light six more times in a variety of ways. Some that are fairly simple, some that are not so simple. So we're going to ask, what does it mean that Christ was the light? And then lastly, what does it mean that the Word became flesh, as seen in verse 14? So these are things that I think will just be good for us to meditate on and to, uh, to glean things uh, from Scripture in regard to. So the first question is, what does it mean that Christ was the Word? I would argue that it means God speaks. God speaks. Okay? If you're thinking in terms of the Christmas... Spirit overall, for asking what does Christmas mean, it means first that God speaks. As I said, John, God through John, decides to communicate that in the beginning was the Word. Not in the beginning was Jesus, not in the beginning was God's Son, not in the beginning was our Savior, in the beginning was the Word. It's purposeful. There's a reason he's communicating in that way. He's saying God speaks words, right? This is no surprise to us. God's been speaking all along. In fact, if you look at all of Scripture, you see that God, capital G, separates himself among other gods, lowercase g, in that he's a God who speaks all the time. He's not absent. He's not aloof to what's going on. In fact, he refuses, generally, to remain silent on the issues of people, on the issues of his creation. He speaks first most of the time. The Bible starts with God speaking, just like John 1 starts with God speaking. God said, 
let there be light, and it happens. Okay? Important nuance is that he speaks first. In the relationship we have with him, he speaks first. By virtue of the fact that he's our creator, he's the first mover in the relationship. Okay? A child does not approach a parent and say, I feel like we wouldn't even have a relationship if it weren't for me putting work into it. Right? It's ridiculous because the parent gave life to the child. And by virtue of that fact, they are the first mover in the relationship. So, in creation, God speaks first. He speaks to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sin. And then, at the point in the story when you would think God would stop talking to them because they've sinned, they don't apologize right away, they don't repent right away, God goes to them and God speaks to them. Keep going throughout Scripture. It's all over the place. Abraham didn't go to God saying, God, where should I go? Give me a plan. God goes to Abraham. Moses stumbles upon the burning bush. God speaks to him. Moses didn't make it happen. And so on and so forth and so on and so forth. So God speaks first, and his speaking always denotes action. The word of the Lord makes things happen. So, in other words, in Genesis 1, when God's creating the world, chapter tells us, and God said, and then dot, 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 all the things he said, and it was so. God could have just made them so, right? He could have just made light appear. He could have just thought light into existence, but he decides that the way he's going to make things happen is by speaking, He says, let let there be light. In the Psalms, read verses like, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. He spoke them into being. Okay, It's almost like it's a kind of extension of himself, and a moving part in his creative abilities. That's the way it's written to us. So, the birth of Christ in John 1, in that, John says, In the beginning was the word. He's communicating God speaking again. Okay, and this kind of speaking is a little bit different than the kind of speaking he's done before. So that's kind of the first, the first issue. What does it mean that Christ was the Word? It means God speaks. Now, second, what does it mean that Christ was the light? It means not only, not only does God speak, but he speaks to darkness. He speaks to darkness. As I said, starting in verse 4, going through about verse 9, we get these verses that are all about light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John's not wanting us to get confused about the difference between John the Baptist and Jesus. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So not only does God speak, but he speaks to darkness. Kind of hinted at in that he's the, he always speaks first or he's the first mover. He speaks to darkness. Now there's multiple kinds of darkness that God does speak to. Genesis 1. The earth was without form and void and darkness was covering the face of the deep. God speaks to it. Literal darkness. Christ speaks to the storm, the darkness of nature, if you will, and he has control over it. More importantly than that, though, God speaks to the darkness of circumstance. Think of 
the physical deliverance of Israel from Egypt, a circumstantial darkness, a dark time in their history. God speaks to it in that he brings them out of it. Think of raising Lazarus from the dead. God speaks to that circumstance, not just that he, not just in that he raises Lazarus from the dead, but in that he goes to Lazarus' loved ones and speaks to them. He appeals to them. He reaches out to them in their darkness. Paul's thorn in the flesh and his imprisonment. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm with you. I will be with you. And in that, he, he, the light speaks to the darkness of Paul's circumstances. Most importantly, I mean, we're talking about the birth and life of Christ. God speaks to the darkness of circumstance in that he enters the darkness of circumstance. So, in other words, when the writer of Hebrews says, we have a high priest, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us. We have one who's been tempted in every way that we've been tempted, and yet was without sin. Which means God doesn't stand outside the darkness and say, everything's going to be okay, you'll be fine. He says, everything's going to be okay, it's going to be fine. I've been there because Christ became man, lived the life, faced all the temptations and all the circumstances from stubbing your toe to breaking a bone to the darkness of discouragement and depression to losing loved ones to the challenges of daily life. He faced it all, all those circumstances. He spoke to that darkness in his life. He experienced it. He gets down into it with us. Lastly, and most importantly, he speaks to the darkness of nature, the darkness of circumstance, and the darkness of sin. God speaking to Adam and Eve after they sin. Israel in sin. So often in their history, God always speaks to them. He goes to them. When they're doing well, he goes to them. When they're not doing well, he goes to them. Begs them to repent. Begs them to avoid the consequences of their decisions by coming back to him. In their sin, uh, he goes to them. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 3. If you look at Psalm 3, the, uh, the, title, the title inscription says, A psalm of David as he was fleeing Absalom his son. And then you read, and it's this psalm where David's crying out to the Lord. Um, there are a lot of enemies. He says, you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory, the one who lifts my head. I cried to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Now, what's interesting about that is, David is fleeing from his son Absalom, and it's his own fault. The only reason David has to flee from his son is because, starting with his sin with Bathsheba, and a few other sins, negligent parenting, poor leadership, his kingdom's in disarray. It's a mess. It's an absolute mess, and it's pretty much his fault, right? So, when he cries out to the Lord, he's crying out from a situation that he put himself in. You understand? It's not the darkness of circumstance. Or it is, but it was caused by him and his sin, right? But God still answers. It's the difference between messing up as a kid and thinking, Dad can't find out or I'll be in trouble, and messing up as a kid and saying, I screwed up, I've got to call Dad as fast as I can. We tend to do this one, 
whether our Father's loving or not. But the point is, He's there. He will speak to the darkness whether we caused it, whether our circumstance causes it or not. So, He speaks. He's the Word. Christ is the Word, capital W, which means God is speaking. He's the light. The light has come into the world. The true light gives light to everyone, which means not only does He speak, but He speaks to darkness. Lastly, in John 1... The question is, what does it mean that the word became flesh? I think the answer is, it means God gets the last word. He speaks, he speaks to darkness, and he gets the last word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, what I mean by get the last word is, it's like when you're a kid and you have a sibling, and uh, something happens, a scuffle, Mom comes in. Who started it? He started it. No, he started it. No, he started it. No, he started it. It becomes this battle of words. I remember doing this with my brother. It becomes a battle of words to the extent that you say, he started, he started. Mom says, all right. She dishes out some punishment. You're both in trouble. One of you are in trouble, whatever. And then it's like, even though mom has like laid down the punishment, it still matters that you're the last person to say, no, it was your fault. It has no bearing on what's actually going to happen. But as you're leaving or being pulled from the room, no, it was your fault. No, it was your fault. Until mom has to say, stop, it doesn't matter. You just want to be the last one to talk. Because somehow that makes you feel like you have some kind of victory over the situation. Even if I'm the one who got in trouble, at least I got the last word in. Which means... My victory was left out there in the abstract of my relationship with my brother. Perhaps overthinking it. The point is, Christmas is God getting the last word, which means the birth of Christ, in that it reminds us not only of the birth of Christ, but the life and death and resurrection of Christ, means there's no longer a conversation going on between the light and the darkness. The conversation's over. So I mentioned... Uh, we went to see Star Wars this week. And uh, so the whole, like, have any of you heard of Star Wars? Yes? It's been around for a while, cross-generational. I thought it would be safe. So the whole, like, mythos of Star Wars is the Force. And there has to be balance in the Force. Like, from the first movie, it's all about the one who will bring balance to the Force. It makes absolutely no sense. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. That your goal would be balance between good and evil? Like, at least it'll end up 50-50, right? Like, that's what we want. Like, you're raising a kid. Well, at least when they become an adult, only half of what they do is evil. The other half is good. There's balance. It's ridiculous. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Not even the makers of Star Wars wants that. Everybody wants the good to win. We don't want balance. We want the conversation to be over. So, in verse 14, when God, through John, says this very abstract thing, the Word became flesh. That's strange. Two things that are very different. The Word, that's abstract, poetic, kind of out there. We don't really know what it means yet, and you don't really know what it means until you read through the rest of the book. Becomes flesh. That's very concrete, earthy. We can imagine that, right? But the one is becoming the other. 
which doesn't seem to make all that much sense. Well, if you read on, if you compare it to the other Gospels, you see, in simple terms, it means that God became a man. Flesh, actual flesh and blood. So you could touch Jesus. Okay? And the beauty of that is that God is speaking in a way that's going to end this thing, right? This struggle between good and evil, the conversation's going to be over because of this uh, monstrously unique way that God is speaking. So he's not speaking out loud like he spoke out loud to Adam and Eve and to Abraham and to Moses. And he's not speaking through prophets like he has before. He sends someone as a messenger to speak to people. He's not even speaking in the written word like he did with the law to his people in the Old Testament. He's speaking in a new way, a unique way, through a person. The word or the speech of God becomes flesh tangible and the conversation will be over over with this this is what christmas reminds us of he's speaking in a, in a unique way and what it means is uh it's a guarantee in other words the third point the third point here that god gets the last word is what gives the first two points more weight god speaks okay that's good that there's a god and that he speaks that's good It's no guarantee of your destiny, but it's good. He speaks into darkness. That's extra nice. He doesn't just abandon you. He's there with you in your circumstances, in your sin, in the ickiness of your heart. But that's still no guarantee of your destiny. I mean, people can come along and speak into your darkness all the time and say, it'll be okay. It'll be okay in the end, which is nice, but not a guarantee right? It just makes you feel nice. It doesn't make reality happen. But the word became flesh means not only does he speak to darkness, but he wins. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not, has not, will not ever overcome it. It's final. It's final, which is good. That's good news. When we talk about the darkness of sin and circumstance, if I were to ask you, um, what is? think of the darkest thing in your life right now. Just the darkest thing. It's kind of, darkness is open-ended. But uh, you might think of something. Things pop into my head, mostly circumstantial. But we all should have the same answer. The darkest thing in your life is you. Right? Tempted, we're maybe tempted to think that we're the victims of sin, which isn't true. We are the perpetrators. Sin did not invade our otherwise good hearts, it was there. It's our home country. And we like it, we've liked it. Right? Left to our own devices, we would like it. We cannot conjure or create the kind of light that can speak to that darkness. We did not ask God to shine his darkness into our hearts, right? The light shined. God sent his son to shine. And we react to that. That's what he gets at in verses six, uh, in verses especially nine. The true light which gives light to everyone, not just people who ask for it. Every human is exposed to God's light, the light of Christ. 
coming into the world. And then it gets at the fact that people choose between one or the other, between accepting the light or not. He was in the world. The world was made through him. The world did not know him. And then in verse 11, he says pretty much the same thing over again. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But who all? But to all who did receive him, who accepted the light of Christ, let the light shine into the darkness, he's given the right to become children of God. So, that God speaks, he's the word, that he speaks to darkness as the light, and that the word became flesh, which means God gets the last word, is good news for us. If you've let the light in, right? If you've accepted Christ, placed your faith in Christ, the wonder of the word becoming flesh just points to the greater wonder of the cross. Not only did he become a human, as hard as that is to understand, fathom that God become human is killed by humans and then raised to life again. The whole thing is just, I mean, we're so used to it, but it's just crazy. I mean, it's the craziest thing to ever possibly happen. But it's good news. It's good news. Thankful that the word became flesh. Will you pray with me? Father, thankful for the gospel, that the word became flesh, that the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We're thankful that Christ's life and its end, the wonderful cross, is a guarantee to us. Because he was raised from the dead is a guarantee to us that death no longer has a sting, that we can say to sin, you've lost for good, that uh, Satan is deluded by pride and ambition to the extent that he cannot understand that it's over. We're thankful for that. We're thankful that Christmas means this to us, a reminder that God has spoken. That 2,000 years ago, God spoke in a unique way, unlike he ever had before. And we pray that you would keep it on our minds. Help us to be thankful that you've rescued us from the darkness of our circumstances, but most importantly, from the darkness of our own hearts. And the sin that we enjoyed for so long has been defeated and uprooted. So help us to be thankful for this and to live in light of this. In Christ's name we ask, amen.